Purdue Crop Chat, a regular podcast from Hoosier Ag Today and the Purdue University Extension Service, featuring Purdue Extension Soybean Specialist Dr. Sean Castile and Purdue Extension Corn Specialist Dr. Dan Quinn. On this episode number 28, they review 2021 and look ahead to 22. 21 beans were good, but not quite as good as 20, and I, I think that's for good reason, right? We didn't have good nitrogen supply. I think that we turned off dry a little bit. The corn crop, really for the entire year, has been fantastic. It maybe tapered off a little bit towards the end of the season here. 189 bushels per acre is tied for state record yield average. Now on Purdue Crop Chat, here's your host, Who's Your Ag Today's Eric Pfeiffer. Hello and welcome to the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo. Let me be the first to say good afternoon. Glad to have you here. Uh, my name is Eric Pfeiffer. I'm with Who's Your Ag Today and we are live today from Westfield's Grand Park. Uh, of course, we're live if you're actually here watching us we're live if you're watching on facebook or youtube we're not live if you're listening to the podcast much later so sorry you missed the boat uh, but i've got purdue extension soybean specialist sean castile here and purdue extension corn specialist dan quinn here and i want to start off this podcast by apologizing i really was trying to do something special for you folks and i tried to get i tried to get dan and shay but all I could do was get Dan and Sean. Uh, but I'm confident that Sean can probably bust out a few lines of tequila, right? You could, you could do we, that. We can work on that. Okay. Little karaoke. Okay. All right. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, so we do the Purdue Crop Chat podcast at least once a month, sometimes twice, if they have good things to say, and sometimes they do. Uh, I like working with these guys. They're pretty easy to work with, and uh, I know that a lot of folks around the state work with them as well, giving them calls to see what's going on. Today we're going to focus in on what's been going on this this past season. It, there were some ups and downs, obviously. We'll let the guys kind of go through and break down what happened throughout the season. And uh, then we would love to take your questions, uh, especially if you've got questions that might be able to stump one of these guys. I would love that. That'd be fantastic. So let's uh, let's start over here with Sean. This is, a, this is a shock. I get yeah. to start first. We're we're gonna start with you. Okay. We're gonna start with you. You are you are now the elder state, statesman now that Bob's not oh, here. Burn, burn. Um, uh, this is the new Bob Nielsen, by the way. Sean says new and improved. If Bob's watching, hi. Um, so Sean, let's talk about soybeans this season. You have been dubbed first Debbie Downer, then Donnie Downer. When I felt bad about calling you a girl's name. Uh, but either way, you haven't been very high on the soybean crop this year. Sure. And USDA finally kind of got in line in their last report, right. lowering the, the expected uh, uh, you know, yield. So just talk about this past season for soybeans and some of the issues that we faced. Sure. I, I appreciate that. And, again, you, you led into Debbie. Donnie and, and then Shay even so so I mean there's three names I've got some identity issues here so we're going to work through that but in terms of this year uh, soybeans start off great and we, we think about the year that we had we had April that was dry we had a lot of recreational tillage that was going on we had a lot of planting that, that occurred early uh, and so the, the pace was was excellent right and when we think about making uh, good soybeans we got to set the foundation and foundation is you know timely planting and so we had that we had over half our our crop planted before the first half of May which is a nice spot for us to be typically the 20th of May we've got about half our crop planted and uh, so we, we set the stage for that and then 
had some pretty good uh, up-season growth. Uh, ratings were excellent. We were really 65 70% good to excellent all season long, and that started from the get-go. Uh, and then what what you give me a hard time about is, you know, that mid-June to mid-July, it just it was, it was wet for a lot of people. I had a few other conversations today that they didn't have that rain, but they, they turned off dry. But a good portion of the state was uh, this mid-June to mid-July, highlighter green soybeans. They just had saturated wet feet. And so that was a, a major part of why I was down on the crop in terms of, you know, how can we get a 65, 70% good to excellent rating whenever we've just got these yellow, yellowing soybeans. And it's one thing to have a yellowing soybean a V2, V3. That's normal, right? They're going through the awkward stage of life is what I call it, Dan. You know, the, the idea that they're a teenager growing so fast, there's not enough nitrogen there. But whenever that highlighter green, you know, into reproduction, so R1 flowering, and to even start pod development, that, that's a case where we're sold short. And so that's where I was worried about that crop. Um, and, and, you know, we had that four weeks or so, and then it's turned off dry. And so those beans took longer to respond. And what I mean by that, they didn't get their good nitrogen content, the supply that was coming from the nodulation until into August. And then at that point, you know, we didn't have much season left. All that to be said, we still yielded very well uh, from August, September, October. The yield forecast had been 60 bushels at the state level, and uh, we finally dropped down in November to 57 bushels. And you know that's one of the top yielding years still. You know, 2020 had several of those conversations today in the past few days with our certified crop advisor conference that. Uh, 21 beans were good, but not quite as good as 20, and I, th I think that's for good reason, right? We didn't have good nitrogen supply. I think that we turned off dry a little bit in some of these areas, and so what few pods were there uh, had a hard time filling, and so I think we have some smaller beans, but overall, you know, 57 bushels is still not bad for the year. Well, and so we, we talk about this, that, that we were a little down on, on the crop throughout the year, but it's still one of the higher ones that we've had yep. in history. What do you attribute that to? Is it genetics? Is it just our incredible farmers and their management? What is it that you attribute attribute that to? Right. I, I think that a lot of this comes into play of you know managing what we have. So again, I'll, I'll, I'll back that. But but then also again, in timely planted beans allows us to weather the storm. Again, pun is intended with that, right? The, the ability to okay have good root development, get through these wet conditions, and then start to have a longer reproductive window. In that we can have uh, the ability to overcome even with a, a low pod load uh, I think the other part of it is you know we we did have a spot rain here and there we got good sunshine that that came into uh, that August to September and so you you look at the tail end of the season it didn't get cut off right we didn't get a fall freeze that really cut it short so whenever we're trying to recover from these wet feet or think about now it starts to dry out, um, we didn't get a cold snap to really drop it. You know, if we get these night temperatures in late August, September that are 50 degrees for three nights in a row, that plant is really shutting down. And so we, we really didn't have that. So we were able to, you know, utilize the, the full growing season that we had. And I think that had a big part of it. Let's talk about corn now, uh, Dan. Uh, by the way, when I was trying to come up with the joke to open this thing, I was trying to find a song that had soybeans in it, and there aren't very many. That's um, all right. So I think I think corn is more popular. Um, so you might have to sing some Tim McGraw later, where the green grass grew, you know, the corn That's pop fine. up and runs. That's okay, fine. we can do that. Corn makes whiskey. What? Yeah, there you go. So uh, let's let's talk about this corn crop. All the farmers that I spoke with, I don't know, June, are like this is the best I've ever seen. 
It's the best I've ever seen. And they were so high on this crop. And I think that that lasted for much of the season. Did we end up where people expected that they might? Yeah, I think the corn crop really for the entire year has been fantastic. Um, it really it maybe tapered off a little bit towards the end of the season here. Um, looking at the most recent USDA crop report for the state, but we're still settling in at about 189 bushels per acre. So 189 bushels per acre is tied for state record yield average. So I don't know what that says, you know, with me. Maybe that's setting the bar too high with me coming here. you, you got to start lower <laughs> your first year. I mean, so Bob's on the exit, yeah. you're on the enter. Yeah. And, you know, th- yeah. there's a lot so, to say there. You know, looking back at the corn season this year, you know, I started at Purdue in May, and and we had really good timely planting with corn and you know it was fairly dry in the spring and we kind of joked that us at purdue we were preparing for a drought oh, we, this, so, we solved that right yeah, we actually we, had a kumbaya <laughs> we had a webinar we, had, we were preparing for drought so we know the, how to solve future droughts in the future <laughs> um, at purdue but we had timely planting and then you know it was right when we were starting to get worried that it might get dry we got plenty of rain across the state and Where I look at in this corn crop and why it was so good for so long really centered around that pollination period. So when corn was tasseling, so kind of that, you know, around the 4th of July, end of July, we just had adequate rainfall, adequate soil moisture. You look at the drought maps during that time in this across the state, we just didn't have much drought. And looking at ears when we got close to harvest, so we have trials across the entire state of Indiana and we're pulling ears and every single one of those trials, and what we noticed is that every single ear was just full to the tip. We had just great pollination, you know, great conditions during pollination, so excellent kernel set for that corn crop. And you look at our condition ratings throughout the entire year, they've hovered around, you know, 72, 73%, good to excellent. And we just had, you know, timely rainfall, good rainfall, hasn't gotten too hot on us in a lot of areas. We had good rainfall during pollination. Now, some of that yield is kind of tapered off as we are getting our final yield reports. And there's some farmers that in certain areas of the state are saying, you know, maybe my yield just wasn't as good as I had hoped. But there's a majority of the farmers I talk to say this is some of the best corn they've ever had. Um, But why that is, when we get towards the end of the year, we had some issues come in with it did get dry on us. So you look at the central part of the state, kind of where we're at right now, the Indianapolis area, down in the southeast portion of the state, it did get dry on us. Um, so we had we thought we were going to have some of the best corn we've ever had in some of those areas, and it got dry and we lost some yield. And you think about tar spot too. So tar spot is a hot topic for a lot of farmers, especially in the northern part of the state. Um, a lot of irrigated farmers really got hurt pretty bad with tar spot. So I think that was a, a big indicator of some of why some of those yields were lower than what we'd hoped. Now, you, you mentioned tar spot. That's where I was going to go next here is – it, it wreaked havoc in some areas. In some areas, though, it came in, but perhaps a little too late to have any uh, yield impact. Mm-hmm. But do we run the risk now that it, it showed up to begin with? Do we run the risk of that showing up earlier next year and maybe having that yield impact? Yeah, that's the difficulty with tar spot. And, you know, working with our plant pathologist, uh, Darcy Telenko, who is probably one of the top, if not the top, tar spot researchers around. The difficulty with tar spot is just figuring out when it's going to come in. And the other difficulty with tar spot, too, is that when you have it, you have it. You know, it's different from something like southern rust, which shows up for guys in southern Indiana. 
where you kind of get a clean slate every year, and we're just worrying about whether or not that disease actually blows up into the state. Tar spot, it likes to hang around in that corn residue in those soils, and once you have it, you have it. So just getting back to the importance, you have to scout your crops. You know, you can't just drive by 55 miles an hour and say, oh, man, that corn looks good. You have to get out in these fields, scout these crops, listen to these pathologists who do everything they can to forecast the disease, telling you where it is. You know, Darcy does a really good job of indicating where that disease is and what counties and what time and just trying to find that disease. And when you find it, manage it accordingly to be on top of it. Now, you say manage it accordingly. You've figured all that out, too, right, of how exactly to manage it, because that's the big question for next year. We're, you mentioned not knowing when it's coming in. It, it, yeah. That makes it tough to manage. And just knowing when to apply things, it's just it's hard. Yeah, yeah, it's it's difficult. You know, we look at tar spot. You know, I've heard it referred to. The tar spot is kind of the corn world's COVID. It's it's new, you know, for a lot of folks. So there's still so much we have to learn. You know, a lot of seed companies are doing a really good job of finding hybrids that are, you know, not fully resistant, but maybe has some control aspect or moderately resistant to that disease that can really help. So I was telling folks towards the end of the year, if you have tar spot, scout some of those fields. Take a look at those hybrids that you have and see which ones are doing well and which ones aren't. And two, you know, from a fungicide aspect, that's where it's so important to be on top of this disease. So scouting those fields when you find it and getting you know, those sprays out on a timely matter. Two, you think about some of the issues folks had with just getting a plane on some of their fields. I talked to some folks and said, I need my fungicide now, and then three weeks later is when that plane can get there. So that's really when the importance of just walking those fields, listening to those pathologists, looking at these forecasts that they do, and just staying on top of that disease. Because if you don't, I've just seen, you know, kind of horror stories with that disease that it can take over an entire field. Speaking of horror stories, let's talk about 2022 and some of the input costs. Um, it's it's really starting to hit people hard. The, the supply chain issues, logistics, transportation, all of these things. Um, hearing, you know, we, we did a, the Purdue Crop Chat last month, and if you haven't taken a listen to it, you really should. It was with Bill Johnson, uh, Purdue Extension weed specialist, and he's talking about the, the shortages in herbicide. And, you know, a lot of that, from what I'm hearing, is surrounding the packaging. We've got a shortage of packaging to actually get it out to people. So, you know, let's let's kind of recount some of the things that we've we've talked about in the past couple of months. Uh, it was two months ago we talked about fertilizer and what was going on there with Jim Camberato from Purdue Extension. Um, just recount for us some of the things that he talked about with fertilizer being in short supply or at least being very expensive what that might look like for farmers come 2022. Yeah, I think you look at fertilizer, you know, first, you know, P and K, so phosphorus and potassium fertilizers are through the roof. Um, you look at nitrogen fertilizer too, hearing reports of folks that it might be upwards of dollar a pound, so maybe double of what they paid in the past. Um, so we really kind of highlighted, you know, first with P and K, a lot of times those applications go on in the fall and just prioritizing your fields. So getting out and soil sampling your fields. Um, the way the universities built their recommendations in some of those maintenance ranges, they're kind of built to give folks the flexibility. So if I get out, soil test my fields and realize exactly what my range is, maybe I can get away with this year with not applying P and K. And certain, you know, you look at the removal of the crops and even though you're in that maintenance range, your soil test values probably aren't gonna go down that much in one year. So maybe you can get away with it this year. So getting out in those fields, getting them tested and trying to prioritize some of those fields. You know, nitrogen fertilizer, 
that's a difficult one. You know, folks were worried whether or not they could even get some. Um, but now we're hearing reports that maybe folks will be able to get it, but how much is it going to cost? And, you know, we're trying to figure out and tell folks that maybe you need to be as efficient as possible in applying your nitrogen. And also, too, maybe you can get away with backing that nitrogen rate down, maybe 20 to 30 pounds, and fertilizing for maximum profit instead of fertilizing for maximum yield next year. It's hard to farm without an arm and a leg, and that might be what you have to give up for fertilizer next year. Um, what about herbicides? We, we talked with Bill Johnson. Um, you know, again, just availability seems to be a, a big issue. Yeah, so when we think about availability on, on the herbicide and, and cost, I think Bill was making the comment last month, uh, nearly six times uh, what it was uh, a year ago for even just glyphosate. And so I think we have to look at that in terms of the, the price and, and putting that out there. If supply is an issue, and instead of having the ability to go out and do a two, a, two applications with the glyphosate or glufosinate, we need to be able to pick and choose which, one, which timing is the best. And so to think about what you have with the weeds that are out there, um, I think more than ever, uh, which sounds kind of crazy, but we've been saying more than ever on herbicides for years now with herbicide resistance. But now when we look at supplies, we need to make sure we've got residuals out there so then that can take us through. So again, a, a field to start off clean uh, with whatever herbicide technology you're able to use, uh, have a residual so it provides you a window and a little bit longer control. And, you know, if you think about maybe some of the, the cautions that people have had on, on residuals, that it costs more. Well, shoot fire. Whenever we think about some of our just glyphosate, glufosinates that should be on the, the cheaper side, we're, we're knocking the, the area of what a, a residual is going to be. So why not go ahead and jump into that? I think one of the big things that we learned and talked about with Bill was the fact that we might actually become better weed resistant managers. In other words, that if we're going to have a field that's going to be maintained, we're going to be putting residuals out there and, and taking care of weeds that are resistant to glyphosate, that's resistant to some of these other chemistries so that we can, you know, produce a crop that's, you know, not going to be succotash. It's not going to be a mixture of, of weeds and, and beans and, and corn for that matter. We are live at the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo. We're live streaming on Facebook and on our YouTube channel. You might also just be listening to this in the traditional way on our podcast. We appreciate you joining us in whichever way you are listening. And we do have folks here in the crowd. Uh, do any of you have any questions for Dan and Sean? I was really hoping that we could get someone that could just absolutely stump these guys. It would, it would really make my day. Does anyone have any questions for Dan and Sean? We've got one back here. Sean, I'm going to switch you here. Take this Who's Your Ag Today mic and, and make sure you're showing it there so everyone can see it. You know, you got to rep the, the brand. I get kickback on that, don't I? Uh, we'll see. Okay. Negotiations ongoing. Here we go. Okay, this is a soybean question. Uh, what can you spray and when uh, on soybeans to uh, control the height? of the beans so they don't get too tall and large. Okay, so the question is about controlling the height of soybeans and whether there's anything you can spray on them. So the big thing with with managing for, for height on soybeans, I, I go back even before that, right, is to think about when are we planting uh, and then what seeding rate and what row spacing. So starting there is, is where I answer this kind of question as well as the variety we select. You know, obviously there's going to be varieties that tend to have a little bit more uh, rank growth, a little taller profile. So those are ones, if you've got a heavier soil or good fertility soil that beans can kind of get out of hand they can get lodgy on you let's let's select a variety that doesn't have quite as a rigorous growth pattern secondly 
Uh, whenever you look at seeding rate, let's be on the lower side of that, okay? So whenever we have higher seeding rates, let's say you're a 15-inch row planter and you're planting 150,000 seeds or something like that, and you have fields that are year in and year out are going to get this rank growth, we should be cutting those back to 120, 130 at least. And then if you've got fields that are maybe muck soils, I mean, I've been up down to 100, 120,000 seeding rate. That's going to give you the combination of you don't have the buddy system pushing those beans taller, getting rank, getting leggy, and laying over. Uh, the other part of this is uh, planting timely actually helps in terms of keeping a plant in a shorter stature. Okay, so in other words, we actually, uh, I promote timely planting of soybeans, so late April, early May, and we're going to have those first few nodes that are stacked, right? They're going to be very close to each other versus a mid-May or later, those inner nodes are going to be maybe an inch or two, and then that pushes the plant even taller. So the combination of variety selection, lower seeding rates, and an earlier planting date, that alone does a, a tremendous job in terms of controlling our height in soybeans. I mean, I, I'm 6'4", I'm and I don't want soybeans up to my chest, right? I mean, it's kind of fun to do that. My kids love running through the maze of that, but I'd really rather have a bean that's compact, maybe up to my waist, 35, 36 inches tall or something like that. So that's on the front side of it. If there is anything that you want to do, there's people I've talked about doing uh, like a Cobra or Lactofins, something like that, to burn your beans or Flexstar, any of those. They can certainly burn the beans. They can certainly stunt the growth of those beans. Uh, I've done studies on that to look at, okay, stunning them and increasing our yield. Um, one out of six times I was able to do that because we prevented the rank growth that you're talking about but it's the rank growth that happened in August, right? And these applications were done at V4 and early on. The other years, when I did that type of application, I actually got a yield hit, okay? So I really hesitate to do anything in a foliar spray to burn my beans, to keep them stunted. Um, if they happen to get stunted, they can, out, they can do decent, but I look toward variety selection, planting date, and seeding rate to really control that height. You're listening to Purdue Crop Chat with Sean Castile, Dan Quinn, and your host, Eric Pfeiffer. Well, gentlemen, uh, I'll ask you this, and I haven't heard your response yet, so this could be a little scary, but we are here at the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo in a new location this year at Westfield's Grand Park. Uh, you've been to the show before. What do you think, Sean? What do I think? What do I get in return, right? You know, no, <laughs> no I, I've been tickled to death. I've never been out here to Grand Park before, and just amazing facility in terms of uh, what's available here in the building. You know, have all the equipment dealers here, uh, the folks, uh, conversations. I think it's been tremendous from what I've seen. Uh, I, I like the opportunity to come talk with you guys, and I think that you, you enjoy talking to the vendors, and I think it's been a great show. Well, thank you for that. Dan, I know you haven't been to this one before because you're, you're relatively new to us. You know, seven months being the new Bob Nielsen. What, what, are, what is your nickname, by the way? He, he was the, you know, King Corn. Have we come up with one for you yet? No, I, I, don't, I haven't heard one yet. We've so. got to come up with something. Ooh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if I want to give, give that task to you all. No, we're, we're on the job. Debbie, <laughs> <laughs> Donnie, and Shay. I don't think you want to give Eric that job. <laughs> we're on the job. Um, but what do you think of the show? No, I think it's great. Um, I think this facility is great. Um, there's just so many different equipment in here. You know, it seems like a pretty good crowd this year. It was easy to get to uh, for me. But, you know, coming to these shows, even for us, you know, you think folks at Purdue, why, why is it even important for us to come to these shows? But it's important for us to even see what's out there and see what kind of equipment folks are interested in. Is there ways that we can maybe incorporate 
you know, new technologies or different things we're seeing to into our own research program. So it's really important for us to, you know, I really enjoyed walking through a lot of these booths and getting to talk to folks and see what new technologies are out there. Final call for questions for Dan and Sean. If you come up to the stage after the show and you grab them and you stump them, I'm going to be a little upset because I wanted that on air, okay? But no, they are probably going to stick around here for a little while. Come grab them and chat with them. Oh, we've got a question here. We've got a question over here. Let's see what I can do here. Okay, so this is a corn-related question. Um, I was crop scouting in southern Indiana a lot this year, and we, like my fellow um, interns, noticed a lot of corn in southern Indiana, especially tasseling at like V15, 16 instead of like 17 or 18. Did you like notice that at all either, or um, can you explain why and if that caused any yield damage at all? Yeah, um, you know, offhand, I don't think we noticed that specifically, but you think about corn and its development, it develops specifically on, you know, growing degree days and heat units, a little bit different than soybeans. Um, so you think about looking back actually in the temperatures in those specific areas, I think there's potentially we're maybe a little bit warmer, a little bit drier. So if you get a little bit warmer, you can actually have it tasseled maybe at V15, V16, if it's a little bit cooler because it's not accumulating those heat, un heat units in time. You know, maybe have tasseled a lot later. Another aspect, too, that we've seen from a management perspective is that if you have starter fertilizers, so different starter fertilizers through planters, you actually see where the corn can actually tassel sooner with those starter fertilizers. So it gets kind of a jump start, tends to be somewhat of a growth stage ahead as it carries through that season with that fertilizer and actually can tassel. You know, we've had strips with starter, no starter, and actually tassels a lot earlier. Um, but indications on yield and whether that should impact yield, I don't see much of an impact on why that would actually hurt the corn crop. Um, you know, it all depends on when it tassels. So if you had it tassel early and you're able to have a lot more better conditions when it tasseled compared to if it tasseled later and then it got hot and dry on you, you know, it could harm your yield in that aspect. But just from the point of tasseling earlier, does it harm yield? Probably not. So, Dan, I've got a follow-up on that. So if that starter is, is causing it to um, advance in growth and tassel earlier, is it necessarily having less uh, leaf development or the same leaf development but just faster? Or, it, or am I looking to stump you and have Eric here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, you can fire question. back. I, I don't think it's less, less leaf development okay. overall. I think it's just about a growth stage ahead. And then the time, have, the time to go through the growth yeah, stage is much through, faster, right? Because you see that at the end of the season with harvest, right? And that corn plant is progressing through that season a lot faster with starters that we typically see about one to two percent less soil moisture or grain, grain moisture, moisture right. yeah. with that starter fertilizer. So I think it's just that plant just progresses a lot quicker as it has those nutrients a lot more available. Um, but off the top of my head, you know, maybe that is a stumping question. Something we haven't. <laughs> I, I would anticipate that it would probably be the yeah, same leaf yeah. development that we're not short exactly. on it. I would just yeah. think it'd be advancing. I don't think, I don't think the plants are short or shorter. They're not behind in leaf development. Just we typically see that tassels a lot sooner. Yeah, yeah. We have grain moisture a lot lower at harvest, so that plant just progressed a lot quicker through well, that season. Well, and that just seems to be a nice a tool too, right? Not, not always are you getting a yield advantage to a starter per se if you've got the same nitrogen program that's efficient, right? You and I have talked about what can we do with this upcoming year with high uh, uh, nitrogen prices and so try to be efficient with it. So starter help through these kind of whatever planting conditions and a, a side dress. But then also you think about on the harvest window, if 
if you are one or two grain per percent lower, less fuel for drying and everything else, so some profitability could come into a starter, right? And to now go into your double on your corn, on your nitrogen price. So if you got a starter system, using it uh, less on grain dry down. So profitability just kind of just, for me as a soybean guy, it just screams, okay, let's, let's make sure we're using the starter as well as the risk effects or the potential from, you know, nitrogen loss. Yeah, I think when we look at the nitrogen prices that we're seeing and what we're trying to have folks understand is trying to be as efficient as possible applying that nitrogen fertilizer. And you think about a starter fertilizer application, specifically like a two-by-two two starter fertilizer application where maybe you can get 30, 40 pounds of nitrogen through the planter at planting. You know, you're not putting all your nitrogen down at planting, sure. so you're running the risk of having poor weather, it gets too dry on us, too wet, where we lose a lot of that nitrogen. If you can have a little bit of nitrogen in that starter, carry that plant up until maybe V6, V7, that's when that peak uptake time is occurring from that corn plant. Then you can put the bulk amount of your nitrogen on and try to capitalize on that peak uptake so you're just not losing so much nitrogen. So being as efficient as possible as you can, try not to lose as much and then get the most, basically the most bang for your buck out of your nitrogen fertilizer application. Yeah, so whether folks have the ability right now with the starter system, it seems like, okay, let's go ahead and do it. They're probably already doing it anyway. We are at an equipment show, so I mean, if starter is gonna be bolted on or new fertilizer uh, on, on a planter, it seems like if there's an investment there, that might be a little bit of a benefit when you've got high nitrogen prices and think about timely harvest at the end of the season. Unless you're waiting on soybeans to get harvested <laughs> like you did this year, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, and I think the other aspect, too, with nitrogen fertilizer and the prices the way they are, you know, I'm both on my website and then Purdue, you look at Purdue resources that we have, we actually updated our nitrogen fertilizer recommendations, and you, we actually factored in the economic standpoint of nitrogen fertilizer application. So where's that point when that fertilizer, a pound of nitrogen, is not making you any more money right. as that nitrogen is applied? So we're looking at with nitrogen prices the way they are, so upwards of a dollar a pound, uh, for nitrogen that maybe you could actually cut back your nitrogen rate maybe 20 30 pounds depending on where you're at in the state and actually kind of fertilize for maximum profit more so the maximum yield next year and ability to do that you know make that decision with a v v6 side dress mm -hmm. so you you've got all the cards on the table yeah. what you've already potentially lost what mm -hmm. the fertilizer price is versus right now yeah. what budgets you're trying to work together yeah exactly yep. and i think you know issues on the corn side i know you brought up this up to me earlier and while we have people here and listening you know the seed i'm curious of the the seed issues with soybeans there's a lot of delayed harvest i talked to some folks earlier here even here at the show said man we just had trouble getting our soybeans out this year with delayed harvest is there seed issues going on is there folk things that people should be aware of on that yeah aspect? that's that's one i want to be on the lookout for i've mentioned it uh through the, throughout the fall uh, and then you know having these winter conversations already so yeah i think we're gonna have some issues with seed size uh, to be on the lookout again, depending on where it's sourced from, right? We think about some of the drought conditions and some of the Iowa production, and so we get some seed from Iowa, and, or we had some conditions during our own seed production. So I, I think we're going to have some smaller seeds. Some of the comments I've heard today, uh, seed lots around the 3,200 seeds per pound. So we're we're starting to approach it's a little bit higher uh, seed numbers per pound, so a little bit smaller seeds. So be on the lookout for that, especially on equipment. Some equipment can handle that, others can't, and so to be able to manage for 
for it. The one I really want to get on to, I mean, we get germ scores year in, year out, no doubt, but I would love to kind of push a little bit more on our seed suppliers. Is, okay, what's our vigor ratings? Because I, I, even if we've got a 90, 95% germ lot soybean, I'm really curious about our vigor ratings. So those aren't on our tag per se all the time and so we'll go back and talk to the seed dealers hey can i get a germ score a cool germ score as well as a vigor rating i think those are two areas we really need to look into and okay again we're talking about money if we're planting timely good seed treatments that help with some of our diseases so those are the areas i really want to look at on our seed supply this coming year is there you know from a seeding rate aspect if the germ scores are low should folks kind of adjust their seeding rates for next year or pay attention to that and how that may be factor in yeah i mean germ, germ scores always should be going into our seeding rate recommendations no doubt you know a, a turnkey on a 15 inch planter you know 140,000 give or take 10,000 but you know we can even cut that lower if germs are good good vigor uh, we can go the opposite right if we're now in the 80 85% germ lots or we've got low vigor and we're planting those earlier those should be a, an early uh, higher seeding rate all that to be said soybeans can withstand a wide range of population you know and then if i got around 100,000 plants i'm fine so it's what factors get you there in terms of the tillage equipment or no-till setup is it the time of planting the seed treatments uh, if we've got 70 75,000 plants i'm usually not doing any replant and so now i'll try and think about okay let's make some money on these these higher input prices i mean if we got good seed treatments and plant a timely good germ we can probably cut seeding rates 20 30,000 and start to save a little bit of money and not take off any yield top end any other questions from out here anyone no you've heard them go on long enough okay uh, next time i really want to stump you eric you know we get asked the questions <laughs> we look to stump you next time i'm i'm not the expert i'm the one that knows how to ask the questions of the experts but it's... you stayed at a holiday inn so you <laughs> should be able to answer these questions right <laughs> Let's let's wrap up here, guys, and uh, let's just start with uh, Dan. Some final thoughts on 2021 as we go into 2022. Some things that folks need to be uh, concerned about, other than prices and fertilizer. Anything else? Yeah, I think you know, wrapping up, you know, my first year in here in Indiana in this position, you know, how well the corn did. You know, we had research trials across the state, and we had some areas where that's the best yield we've we've ever seen. Um, so we had a great year this year, and hopefully we can carry that into next year. I think the big things is, is just fertilizer, you know, soil testing. I said <laughs> don't bring up fertilizer. They don't want to hear about it anymore. <laughs> you know, getting out and soil testing your fields. <laughs> I'm going to keep talking about fertilizer because that's all I get asked about. He follows about. Bob's mold. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't listen. <laughs> yeah, so just being efficient as you can with your nitrogen and prioritizing fields and Again, hopefully we get some adequate snow cover this winter and recharge a lot of that soil moisture in these fields. Um, but hopefully we can have kind of the good year we've had this year and into next year. And I think, you know, I'm going to use this at time right now, you know, in my final thoughts, just to give a little bit of a shout out for the folks in Western Kentucky. Um, yes. I, I am a graduate of the University of Kentucky. I did research in Western Kentucky. There's a lot of great people out there and some of our colleagues. Um, so Chad Lee, Carrie Knott, and, you know, Kirsten Wise, those folks down at the University of Kentucky, they lost their entire research facility. Wow. Gone. So, you know, labs, grad student work, greenhouses, you know, a multi-million dollar facility that was built a couple of years ago that was completely gone. Um, so just, 
I ask folks to, you know, keep those people in their thoughts. And, you know, there's different aspects if you're willing to give. I know Kentucky Farm Bureau has ways to give, and there's just a lot of different, you know, Red Cross. Um, but there's a lot of good farmers down there that lost everything as well. Um, so I always want to, you know, put that out there and just keep thinking about those folks in Western Kentucky because there's just a lot of good people down there. Absolutely. Thank you for doing that, Dan. Sean, any final thoughts from you? Yeah, I think the, the, what I like to do during the winter and what I really want to encourage folks to do is to think about what worked this season, what didn't work this season. I, I mean, I, I look at Farmer as the first researcher, really. I mean, you're exploring, you're experimenting with anything and everything from how you plant a crop to, you know, whether it's fertility, whether it's, okay, we're playing with sulfur, we're playing with some fungicides. Uh, go back and learn from it, right? And then look for it, okay, how can I set up things to learn again? So then I can advance my field, advance my farm, and, and move forward. So whether that's cutting seeding rates or whether it's looking at combinations with, um, you know, a, a nutrient practice up front and foliar feeding later or, or f fertility or fungicide. So just learn. I had to go back and learn and then start to plan some homework assignments the coming year. Yeah, I was going to, just adding on top of that, you know, we have, you look across this, this venue and there's so much technology out there and so many tools that folks have to, to map their fields and look yeah. at yield maps and monitors and, and making sure this winter that you're going back and kind of pinpointing, okay, this is where I had issues or mm -hmm. this is a spot in this field that just wasn't as good. This yield just wasn't as good in this area in this field and going back and understanding why. So learning and how we can kind of target those specific areas moving into next year, maybe get more out of those areas. Basically, you need to be like my three-year-old. Why? Why? And you get the answer, why? Why? Just keep going back and answering that question. All right, well, that just about wraps up the Purdue Crop Chat podcast. If we can go ahead and get the lyrics on the screen for Sean here, uh, that'd be fantastic. Sounds good. Uh Okay, maybe Merry not. Merry Christmas. We're, 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 we're trying to keep listeners, Sean. We're Silent Christmas night. Song? <laughs> <laughs> Silent Sean. Shay? Yes, that'd Silent be, Shay? That'd be great, yes. Uh, thank you for coming out here to the Indiana Farm Equipment and Technology Expo. We do the Purdue Crop Chat podcast uh, each month, at least once a month, and you can find it at HoosierAgToday.com if you haven't tuned in before urge you to do that it's a it's a great program uh as hard of a time of I, as i give these guys they actually do know what they're talking about um so we like to get that information out there for you uh it's it's really good stuff so please check that out at hoosieragtoday.com we appreciate everyone coming out today my thanks to dan and sean let's give them a round of applause thank you thank you this has been Purdue Crop Chat, a regular series featuring Purdue Extensions, Dr. Sean Castile, and Dr. Dan Quinn. Thank you for joining us for Purdue Crop Chat today, moderated by Eric Pfeiffer, and a service of Purdue University Extension and Hoosier Ag Today, Indiana's most listened to farm radio network.